Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Wine Interrupted with Heather and Tammy. <laughs> and uh, let's see, we got all cerebral last week with our mm-hmm. podcast um, that Tammy was awesome and educated us all on the attachment styles. But this week, we're—I don't know—I don't know if I'd call it lighter. It's just working a different muscle, and we're going to be talking about true crime and why women women really love it. <laughs> <laughs> all forms of it podcasts movies books like whatever medium yeah like obsessed women are like it's so hot right now i mean it has been for the past couple of years but it's like it just seems like it's building women and from my observation lots of white women are obsessed with true crime tons of white women um well it's like a suburban white mom thing right <laughs> well okay so like i feel like the women question is is I mean, I can answer both, but like, I think as women, I mean, I know statistically because a little background for our listeners, I worked on the TV show Criminal Minds for 15 seasons. And so I was privy to a lot of um, true stories and, and our, our episodes started off based on real stories and um, real, real situations, real cases of mainly women who were kidnapped by serial killers or killed, tortured, etc., or their family, um, their husbands. Um, usually it's the husband is like the main suspect for a reason, because statistically that's what happened. So I think um, for me personally, like learning those real stories, I think, you know, going through the worst day of her life, and then you can sort of take note and figure out what you would do if you were in her shoes. And what worked, what didn't. And, um, you know, to, and that, that will always be fascinating, no matter what. Um, and I think that, that definitely the, the race issue of white women in general is because if you look traditionally, even in the FBI, even like, even like the way the FBI and the police handle cases of like, let's say serial killers or crime is mm-hmm. the most media hunk like the most media ravaged cases are always the perfect couple or the perfect looking white woman or the white ch- like John Bonet Ramsey like the perfect looking image is flawed so i feel like mm-hmm. in people want to see that they want to rubberneck that and that unfortunately is i think what sells the best because it's a shiny new penny and they're watching the shiny penny get tarnished. And that is somehow intriguing. Um, and then, yeah. And unfortunately I feel like white cases in general get a lot more attention from the FBI and police. I feel like they're going to, because there's a lot of dismissiveness with, um, people of color if they're missing or if they are, you know, if we're vi- obviously the violence and what's happening with our police and the way they ha- way they handle that. I mean, that speaks for itself. But it's like if a if a person of color goes missing, the police are not in a rush as much as it like let's say a, a white person has gone missing. It, it, they sort of oh they're they must have you know they assume that the person of color got into some shady dealings or whatever it's there's this sort of like prejudice that's even if some it's you know so not okay it's so not okay imagine if that was your sister or or mom or yeah exactly it, exactly there's a lot of flaws to that whole mentality but it still exists and i think that you see that across the board of what what we watch on netflix you know what's attracted to us what the case is like right now like i'm hooked on did you watch the dirty john franchise you know i watched um i think on hulu like the first five or six episodes i'm really familiar with the story i've heard um a few true crime crime podcasts on that and that one was fascinated to me because it centered around a newport beach woman in balboa who did it remind you of (laughs) who did it remind me of shoot or the family like did the family dynamics remind you of anyone we know yeah. Yes. I got to say they're totally dysfunctional. 
Yeah. And just all the red flags that were up. And I don't remember the name of the, the lady that was involved. Yeah, that married Deborah. Um, Dirty John. Yeah. But um, yeah, all the things that she chose to to overlook. Yeah, it's crazy. And And then there was that history. You saw the history because her mother also did the same thing. Like, because mm-hmm. if you remember, like, Deborah, I think her name is Deborah, um, her sister was killed by her sister's husband. And the mom, like, forgave him and was friendly with him as if no big deal. It was this, like, yeah. Yeah. So it's to repeat what we know in life. Honestly. Honestly. Um, but, oh, but but what I'm, I, I, I've already consumed the whole Dirty John, like, franchise from the miniseries to the podcast to the LA Times article. But there's a, a second incantation of that called Dirty John, the Betty Broderick story. Have you heard of that? Yes. Oh, yes. There was okay. a Lifetime movie about that. I've listened to a podcast about that. And I, I years ago, I read a book. Right. On case. And wow. Meredith Baxter Burney played played Betty in the Lifetime movie. I remember like that was the big job. And now Amanda Peet is playing her with Christian Slater as her husband. No way. Have you heard this? You haven't seen it? Oh my God, I'm obsessed. No. Is it on Hulu? It's on um, USA and it's on USA right now. And, and then you just open up a new browser, like a different, like Chrome, open up Chrome and do it again on that. And so I've watched six episodes so far. <laughs> girl you are good anyway but the story is like it's intriguing because in this case i mean it's a true story the you know the woman who was the killer was a woman Mm -hmm. so you know that that's a right away it's topsy-turvy because usually it's the other way around but but you see a lot of you kind of feel bad for her because she was emotionally abused and you, oh, you and a woman scorn, like supporting her oh, husband. Totally, totally. In her best years. I, I don't know. I don't know if I like the term best years, but you know. Yeah. And through medical school, um, building yeah. a business. And then he leaves her for, if I remember correctly, his um, secretary. secretary or assistant. Yeah. And okay, so cliche. Who looked exactly like her, but younger. Like literally like looked the part. And um yeah, and then he played like a bunch of like emotional games with her and um played with her head like I mean there's a lot of talk where they speculate that they that he wanted Betty to go crazy and kill herself. So that was his way of dealing with it was to gaslight her. But see, and I don't remember that part i do they dig into it more mm-hmm. in the um, series than yeah. They do the movie? yeah you got to check it out that's your homework okay. i do need to check it out what really fascinates me about true crime is the psychodynamic aspect of it yeah exactly. what um yeah tell me what more bring somebody to do such evil things right and to have like antisocial personality traits yeah and no bunch of yeah exactly well do you know anything about that i mean i know a little bit from Criminal Minds of the FBI would tell us that the homicidal triad is usually present in at least serial killers, um, which is like, yes. And, you know, um, and then I believe the other one is, uh, let's see, a uh, high propensity to torture animals. Yes. That's number one red flag, any yeah. sort of cruelty, torture, killing of animals. Right. And then the other commonality they did find is uh, they were bedwetters. There's a lot of bedwetters, like late so, later in life. Like Basically, I think um, from what I've researched and what I know, a lot of these serial killers and people with personality, like antisocial personality disorders, psychopaths, sociopaths, have a trauma history. Oh, sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's not and just like their brain. Abuse. Yeah torturing animals, curiosity, wanting to inflict pain on other living things, huge red flag. Mm -hmm. And I would say just mainly um, like leading back to what we were talking last week to a disorganized attachment style. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where their primary was absentee or avoidant abusive Abusive, or abusive. Yeah. Not there. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, and to me, like you, I'm, I'm fascinated by all that too. Like, I want to know what makes everyone tick. I want to know what to look out for the benchmarkers. You know, it's so funny because you look at these people compartmentalize and just ignore and denial and they convince themselves sometimes that 
that they didn't do anything. Like they can, they can uh, soar through um, lie detector tests because they convince, <laughs> they convince themselves that they are innocent. <laughs> to me, that's fascinating. It's like, see, that fascinates me too. How their blood pressure doesn't go up when lying. Yeah. That's a skill and a half. Yeah. That's very scary. And I just wonder not to get all political, but like some cops mm -hmm. that get into law enforcement, um, a psychopath can pass a lie detector test. No problem. Totally. Which is usually required for most departments. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Um, so in doing preparation for this podcast, I was looking up like a lot of different articles on, um, why do, why are women drawn specifically to this sort of genre and mm -hmm. like just the 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 percentages are through the roof it's like women consume this content like nobody's business i mean i put on forensic files in the background like when i'm on vacation i can find it on any i can always find it when i'm on vacation <laughs> and i'll have it like when i'm going to sleep i mean forensic files you think i could do a little better than that but i find it calming I don't know. There's something calming about it. That guy's voice. And just because I see it probably because it seems so far removed from my own reality that it, it's like I can, it makes me feel, makes me feel calmer to hear about it from a detached point of view. I don't know. I, you know, I go to sleep at night listening to true crime podcasts. You do? <laughs> I do. I do. My family thinks I'm nuts. No. But that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, but um, I don't know. I just really, really find it interesting, and it's like a puzzle, just putting together all the pieces. That's one of the things that they say that women enjoy is the puzzle aspect of it. Like to like it's it's a brain teaser to try to solve the problem and put yourself in their shoes and do a little. I think I think most women have like a a fantasy of being a spy or a detective. You know what I mean? Like. Or some, some of us use detective skills on a regular basis <laughs> like with our partners if we want to like make sure they're not, you know, deceiving us or whatever. Like we've, we've all done things like that. But I think we just want to like put that together and feel like, ooh, I'd, I'd be able to figure this out. It's a puzzle. What science did, I mean, it's just really, really like unsettling when you hear about this normal person, kind of like Ted Bundy, very charming. Mm -hmm. You would have no clue. Yeah. That would be hard. That he's a hard one. Yes. Because, you know, and and unfortunately, it's true that that the whole good-looking demeanor, you know, women are more apt to let down their guard for somebody who's But so. talk about a psychopath that really knew what they were doing. Yeah. And he was and able to he like fear of being caught. And he was able to maintain relationships too, which is yeah. so bizarre on top of all that. You think that he'd be like living in a van somewhere or like rocking back exactly. and forth. But no, and he I had like a full on authentic those relationships were. It seemed I mean there's there's uh there's books out and movies out about um his whatever girlfriend and her right. daughter he that was... yeah, that he was super close with. And she actually helped catch she she tried to turn him in. She she called the cops a few times to turn him in and the cops didn't listen to her. <laughs> that's the other and problem. Him with huh? those I mean, even though she had those suspicions. Yeah. Uh, she must have had like a death wish on from her own her own point of view. Let's see. They also talk about like that it's escapism because you're you're taking yourselves out of your own your own crappy. If you're having a bad time, you're taken out of your own situation, and you're now throwing yourself into a dynamically worse situation, so it makes you feel better about your own situation. <laughs> <laughs> by watching these things let's see it satisfies like that little kid desire to see beneath the surface of everything like how the sausage is made and see you know the wizard behind the curtain and see who how things are done and and you know like you said the signs like looking for that i can see that, I can see that. Mm -hmm. I can see that. there's so much curiosity that goes into it there's people that that when they critique or they, they view like, why are women so fascinated with this? And it's sort of a negative light. They say it's really just, it's exploitive and it's voyeuristic. So, and they say that, um, you know, no, like the concept of we, you know, in solidarity is like we as women, when, when we're, you know, we're taking ourselves out of it when we're, when the subject matter we're watching is looking at other people's pain. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of criticism about it. So 
on that note too, and mm-hmm. not to go down a different rabbit hole, but there's it. an organization out there called Murder Is Not Entertainment. Oh wow! And their whole purpose is against not exploiting people's pain. I didn't know that. Uh huh. You should Google it. Yeah, I will. That's that's fascinating. That's good. I mean, so yeah. I can imagine having something horrible happen to somebody that, you know, family member, somebody that I love deeply and intimately involved with mm-hmm. having to go through something like that and then having it in my face all the time. Oh my God. Yeah. Speaking of which, like, you know, it's super hot right now on Netflix is Unsolved Mysteries, the revamp franchise. Oh, have you started watching that? I have. Have you or no? Um, I watched the first episode and something was missing. Maybe it was oh. because I was much younger when um, the first round of Unsolved Mysteries oh, okay. came okay. out. So it just, I don't know, it just didn't captivate me. Oh, I, I actually liked the first episode a lot. Um, and then the, the third episode is takes place in France. It's really fascinating. I would recommend watching that. It's all in subta- okay. subtitles. The, thir- the third episode I, I was very, very taken with. But, you know, but talk about exploitive, like, you know, that's a real story that's not even solved. That's out there for consumption. And I mean, obviously, they're asking the public to, to chime in if they know anything. But at the same time, can you imagine if that was like, whew, that's your loved one that, you know, and then you're on you're you know, being fi- your right. gr- your grief <laughs> is being filmed. And all your dirty laundries, like, out there, your family laundry, their laundry, like, private stuff that you would never in a million years think would be aired out there. Right. Right. It's it's very interesting. Um, I never got it. Well, I got into, speaking of podcasts, like, I totally got into Sword and Scale. Mm-hmm. I was obsessed with it for a while. Um, that's, uh, let's see, Mike Boudet is the kind of a nefarious, um, he's the author of Sword and Scale, but, um, you know, it's all true crime. I know there's been some like drama with, with him. I don't know if he's still involved in the franchise, but um, then I just stopped listening to it because it was a little too explicit for me. Some mm-hmm. of it was, um, but I did go down that whole, you know, I was so excited when a new episode came out. But like, I remember there was some episodes I just could not listen to. Like, I have a hard time with anything involving little kids. Me too. I have a hard time with that. I can't, especially if it's sexual abuse or anything like that. I'm like, no, thanks. Can't do it. Give me some good old fashioned slasher wife, husband murder. I'm in. No. <laughs> right. And I find like too, with true crime, I don't want to know all the gory details that's that's the whole thing i want to know the gory details in the relationships i don't want to know like yeah all the like you said yeah and somebody that was uh, murdered in their 40s going back to went high school and digging up all the stuff they were into then i don't know yeah no it's interesting let's see well there's another podcast called um my favorite murder <laughs> i listen to that what do you think of that? Two women. They're young, I, right? It, you know, honestly, I've only listened to maybe two episodes, but I, I enjoy it. I enjoy their banter back yeah, and forth and I their hear, perspective. I hear it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I should revisit that. Their, um, their sign off is always uh, stay sexy. Don't get murdered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like anybody really wants to get murdered. Oh yeah. No, no, I know. But it's like, but, but the, with the article I was reading that mentioned their podcast and was saying like don't get murdered it turns out isn't in order it's like a prayer it's like i think that's why women turn tune in is like do you really like want to figure out how to not get murdered and statistically not getting murdered is kind of in our favor (laughs) well yeah no kidding but it's like but women women are more likely right more actually and i just find it really fascinating because you probably got like a lot of Experience and knowledge from um, the FBI consultants when yep. you're working for Criminal Minds. Yeah, there was a book. Um, there's they call it the Red Book in the writers' room, where the first week I was up in the writers' department, they said to me, "Whatever you do, don't open the Red Book." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, you know, now I'm going to open it." So it was given. It was like the FBI handbook on serial killers with um, true cases and photos, like you wouldn't believe. So- why did they not want you to open it just because it would mess with your head yeah. or yeah. it was top secret? Okay. It was there for us to, to look at because we basically we wanted to base all the episodes off of real stories. 
but you go on for like 15 seasons and you run out of stories. So it's like, <laughs> you know, so the research purposes, they have the book there, but it like the photos were very graphic. So, and it's all real, nothing fabricated. So, oh, so you got like firsthand viewing yeah. of unedited photos. Correct. Of, oh, yeah. So that, yeah. And so I, I'll have to say, I'll tell you this though, though, like there's a reason for the warning of don't open the red book because I worked on the show how many seasons before, like I, I worked on the show probably 15. eight or, yeah, a total of 15, but eight or nine seasons I worked before I was up in the, no, I worked on the show. Yeah. Eight or nine seasons before I was up in the writer's department and I never had nightmares. And then after I started working in the writer's department, I had nightmares. <laughs> Get really real. Yeah. I think just because you're talking about real things and everything is just more visceral. And I mean, and I can handle it, but it's like just an observation was I did get, you know, I did get nightmares. So pe- I bet that oh, makes it even more like real unedited crime scene photos, mm-hmm. uh, probably more information than the public got on cases. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. We were, we were definitely like, we had an FBI profiler who was retired from the FBI who actually did what, you know, the profilers did in the FBI and the behavioral behavioral unit. Um, and so he had retired and then he was our consultant for many, many seasons. And then he became a writer. So he was there, you know, still up to date active with the FBI, like, cause you're still briefed on everything, even though he wasn't no longer in the FBI, he retired from the FBI. So we would hear things fresh off the, it was interesting. Yeah. It was very interesting. So uh, from reading that book, can you share one case that really stuck with you? Um, trying to, let me think about that. One case that really stuck with me was, was the case, I forget where it was. It was in, in the South somewhere of, um, and it took place at a college. And this is a true story of the woman, um, a woman, like a co-ed, um, was leaving a party and she was like super conservative and never went to parties, but went to one that time was, and she was got a little tipsy. And then we saw the video we saw the actual real video of her walking down the street and kind of like, you know, not bobbing on her feet. She was, she was tipsy stumbling and we've been there before. Yeah. And then you, and you see, and you see like a guy notice, like you see a guy notice her being wobbly and start to follow her. Then you see like, then you, you actually see another guy step out of the shadows who had been hiding and follow her. So there's actually two guys that noticed her walking down the street, stumbling over herself, took notice two people. Holy crap. And they, and this is all on video and you see this. And did the two people that had noticed her, did they have a relationship? They were not. No, two people. No, they were not. They weren't related to each other at all. They weren't partners. It was like that one, they were both accused of rape. They had both been accused of rape before. So they were definitely de- ah. they were definitely rapists on the prowl, but to see them working like that was like that was so eye opening and disturbing to me. I can imagine. Yeah, um, I like goosebumps right now. Yeah, and it just like I don't know about you, but I did some stupid things in my youth. <laughs> you know where like I, you know, put myself at risk where I should have made smarter choices. You know what actually came to mind as we're as I was researching this today was, do you remember um, the guy, the, the guy at Vaughn's the who was in, worked in the produce department, Gabe. Oh yeah. <laughs> you remember, do you remember that? He must've been like, how much older would you say he was he than us? 30s. Yeah. We were like 16. Okay. Well, I look back on this now. I actually made like, I actually flirted with him, got to talk to him one time. And he, do you remember this? He, he told me to meet him after work. He got off at like 1230 midnight, mm-hmm. like in the middle of the night, meet him in the park, meet him there in the parking lot. And I was like, okay. And I remember Perry picked me up that time and took me over there and she was going to leave when he came out. That was such a stupid thing to do. Were you there? Were you with me? I don't think so. Okay. I- that we've all done dumb things because 
we were naive or maybe a little too intoxicated. I was like a total virgin. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I literally had had this crush on this guy, knew nothing about him. He was definitely in his late thirties and I was 16 and I'm going to meet him like in the middle of the night and my friend's going to leave when he, oh my gosh, like it was just, thank God he never showed up. (laughs) But it's like, you know, don't be scared on yourself. Because our minds didn't go back, go there at 16. I know. Everything, like, it was all Disney movies back then. Yes, exactly. Aladdin. (laughs) Do you trust me? (laughs) Yes. Anyway, um, going down the list of, like, of why women watch or consume this stuff. Let's see. The allure of a train wreck. That evil is fascinating. Do Do you agree? It's it's sort of the dumb luck of the youth, I feel like I the nine lives or something. Thankfully someone was looking out for us, I think. Exactly. And statistically, I'm sure a lot of young people, um, young adults do some very stupid things and pull through it. It's just that one time. Um oh, so another another reason why people like women like this stuff is um it's a way to process our own anxieties. Like by watching somebody else go through that. Yeah. Doesn't that, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I could see how, how that would be helpful to see it because it's not you. So it wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily trigger your own, but it would, it would would probably help you process it. Also that women like to be scared in a controlled way. Yeah. I I like that. I like ghost stories. (laughs) I mean, in a controlled way, as if like, you're not going to be affected. Like nobody's going to hurt you. And honestly, I don't know. The older I get, the less scared I get about things. Oh, really? I've found. Oh, okay. I yep. feel like I'm going the other way. I feel like the older and I'm... I think, although, I don't know. I think the unknown is scarier than the known. Yeah. And an example I'm going to use is like the Blair Witch Project. Yeah. It freaked me out. Right. It's like not knowing what you're up against. Yeah, and then your your mind left to its own devices will make up the worst case scenario. Exactly, and especially if you're an empath and an overthinker such as myself. <laughs> High five. <laughs> yes, it always goes the worst case scenario. I yeah. catastrophize everything. No, I'm I know. I I hear you. Let's see if there's anything else. Oh, yeah, well, along the same lines as processing our own anxieties, but uh, true crime mm-hmm. stories allow women to talk about and explore vulnerability in general and maybe like just being vulnerable and like from a physicality or, you know, I just remember like, you know, even, even now, like I'm, I just remember being very aware of like even dating men, like very aware of their size and stature and being like, can I take him if I had to, you know, that kind of <laughs> thing. <laughs> So I always kind of dated like people that were like around my height, but how tall is your, your hunk of hunk of Bernard look? Six one ish. Okay. He's no Kevin. What? Kevin's like six, four, six, five, six. Damn. He's a giant. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I like to solve, I like to solve the mystery, solve the puzzles and I find them very interesting. And I also like the backstory. I want to hear about like, you know, the relationships between their family beforehand or was that like, I want to figure out what the trigger was. I want to be like, what, what did it? I love the backstories too. It's yeah. something that intrigues me um, on both sides. Is there anything that you're watching or listening now that you would recommend true crime wise? No. And it's kind of, I don't know, want to call it an obsession, but just a case that really, really, um, just bothers me. Have you heard of the Delphi murders? I've heard of it. What is it? It's about two teenage girls. They're oh, 13 yes. 13 in Indiana. Yes. That went across the bridge and one of the girls captured an image and um, audio. Yeah. Of their perpetrator. Yeah. And um, I mean, they still haven't solved it. And they do believe that it's somebody um, that is familiar with the area that's hiding in plain sight. Now, did they find the girls? They did. Oh, okay. It was so sad. Um, I believe it was three years ago, and the girls went on a hike um, on a trail, which kind of reminds me of us. It's something that we would do. Yeah. 13, 14, go out. They took a hike. They and followed then, the um, buddy system. They're, they weren't alone. Right. They were They were mm-hmm. together, 
um, Delphi, like low crime rate, small town, everybody knew each other and they went missing. And then on Valentine's day, they found their bodies. Oh and gosh. what's really curious about this is like the cause of death hasn't been released. Oh. Very few details have been released. Okay. And there are tons of Facebook groups talking about this exact case. Are you involved in those? Um, voyeuristically. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Being like, what's up? But, um, what really bothers me is they released a sketch of, um, the guy, they called him bridge guy, the guy that, um, was falling on the bridge. Yeah. And then two years later, they released a completely different sketch. Oh, of that person, oh that's frustrating. Which is kind of confusing. And so there are people, very involved people on these sites. Oh, yeah. Pictures of other people saying, this is him. Mm-hmm. What do you think? And for an innocent person, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know about the publicly accusing people thing. Yeah. feels very comfortable for me. Yeah. I just, these open-ended things, it's like, it just sucks that there's no evidence on the bodies. And, and you know, they did get DNA evidence. Oh, they did. And there evidence, but the police department is very like tight lipped okay. about what they have and what happened and the cause oh, of at death. Least, at least they have the DNA though. They do. Well, it sounds like this is one of those cases though that the public is very interested in. The media is very interested in. So hopefully they'll do their due diligence and f- solve the murder. I hope so. I hope so. Um, my just heart goes out to those girls. Yeah. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what their parents are going through. Yeah. Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is fucked from then on. Pretty much. And not knowing, not having any closure. Right. Not even knowing how their kid children passed. That's the problem right there. It's like they just want some kind of peace. That's rough. I don't know. So, I, I I feel like, yeah, I feel like everybody's against the death penalty unless it involves somebody they know. <laughs> and that's where I struggle too, because I'm very much against the death penalty. Yeah. But I don't have a stake in the game. Right, right, right. Same. Like, would I completely change my view on things if it something happened to somebody I was like, you know, loved or was intimately involved right, with. Right. I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder about that myself, but what's your view on the death penalty? Um, I am against it. Uh, I think that we can study and learn from them. I think that's what we've done in the past. We definitely have with serial killers. Um, those that were willing to, you know, um, I think Mindhunter, have you watched Mindhunter at all? I have not. That's a great one. That's on Netflix. Is it like a true, like a fiction or nonfiction show? It's, I believe it's fiction, but it's based on real uh, serial killers. Like there, there's people who play themselves in it. You know, what? It's, oh. it's actually based on, it's based on true events. It's based on the real founding, um, the real founding people of the FBI, like the original founders of the BAU unit, kind of like Criminal Minds. Like it's based on that real case. The, or sorry, the real team of people that, that were assembled specifically for serial killers only. Okay. Um, and that is the real thing that happened. And it was in the basement of the FBI. And um, so it's based on that. Um, I believe the characters and their private lives and all that stuff is sort of fiction. But um, it's based on real people. And there are real, like Ed Gain is in there, like real serial killers, obviously actors playing them, but, you know, based on like their willing or you know, what they attempted to do and establishing a relationship with these serial killers to see if they could learn from them. And I think that's super important to do. I mean, each, each one is very different and some will try to lie to you and some will purposely thwart, but then some serial killers have been very, very helpful. Like they also want the notoriety. Like if they're, I mean, they're usually narcissists and they want, they want their, they want their legend to live on. So, so some cases they will work with the FBI and they'll learn from them. And I think that's very important. I mean, I don't know. I go back and forth. I think the cost of keeping someone alive in prison for life and then the death penalty, I'm, I'm not sure. Cause I hear they're both very costly. So I don't, yeah, I don't oh, know. I didn't interrupt, but it costs more to, um, but it costs more to kill, to um, execute somebody yeah, than it does for them to stay on death row for the rest of their amazing life. Amazing to me. Yeah, for sure. With all the appeals, with all the, mm-hmm. All the legal fees, for sure. 
interesting. Um, I was, it was fascinating when I was able to go to San Quentin because we filmed in San Quentin, um, San Francisco. Uh, Did you really? I didn't know that. We filmed right in the prison um, for the spin, the very first spinoff with Forrest Whitaker and Janine Garofalo. And it's called. Oh, Sus- that's right. We're involved in that. Yeah. Suspect behavior. So we filmed the spinoff there. It was an embedded spinoff. So it was within Criminal Minds episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and we filmed at San Quentin where, you know, Richard Ramirez was and Scott Peterson still was. And um, it was funny to hear the guards like, you know, we were, we definitely had a rapport with the, with the higher ups and some of the guards while we were there. And, um, you know, them just telling us how like Scott Peterson is like the favorite person, like all the guards love him. Like he just charms their socks off. And, um, you know, that's, that's where this, that's where things go awry, but you know, they can't, they can't deny like everybody's like thrilled to be around him. Because he's so charismatic. Oh, so I wonder, because I was watching um, a series on him on Hulu that basically went over a different perspective of his guilt. Oh, ooh. And kind of shed light on his innocence. Oh, so it was coming from that that angle. Huh. From that angle. So, and honestly, I, I kind of questioned it. Because really, we only see one side in the media. But we, he, I mean, the motive was like crystal clear. Very true. Very true. But mean, what if he was? victim of circumstance i mean what if i don't know he's a, he... he's a soul of course you know cheating on his wife but yeah but like the way the, the way that he talked about um the way that he talked about um his wife to his his mistress was very telling he said she was dead that is very true i forgot about that you know so it's like Kidding. take it back <laughs> you know it's very interesting um mm-hmm that point of view and how she was completely fooled. She turned him in, right? Yes, she did. She was very compliant with uh, the investigation and the police. Yeah. No, but I find that case, you know, that was very intriguing. Like once again, it goes back to the very beginning. It's like, you have really good looking people. (laughs) You have, you know, Lacey was very, you know, attractive lady and she's pregnant, which also, you know, which also tips the heartstrings. And then Scott Peterson being this slick, charming, handsome, intriguing character as well. It's like, I feel like they get treated a little, and they're affluent. So I think the affluency also is part of it too. So it's this sort of fantasy. Did you ever see A Perfect a perfect Murder with um, Michael J, not Michael J. Fox, Michael, let's see, Gwyneth Paltrow and um, Michael Douglas. I did not. I saw Gone Girl. Oh, what'd you think of that? Wow. Yeah. Total case of borderline personality disorder yeah yeah although i've been very extreme most people with borderline that suffer or struggle with borderline personality disorder wouldn't do that but <laughs> that was that was wow. something else that's talk about planned out mm-hmm. Jeez. and yeah there was, a, there was a lot of um turns twisted turns and surprises in that or the, gr- see the ending coming right 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 was very good. Um, did you see The Girl on the Train? No, I haven't seen that one. I'd recommend that. That's good. I read the book too. The book's good. The thing about Scott Peterson is like no criminal record, no just what the heck. That makes him it's the perfect cover up. Exactly. And did you um did you hear much about the Chris and Shannon Watts case? Yes. That was on Sword and Scale. That was also crazy. Okay, that's not too far from here where I am. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like no criminal history, no violent history. And then all of a sudden he murders his pregnant wife and his two girls in the most hideous way. Yeah. And they, they played, I remember they played video, right? They played video from the neighbors Mm -hmm. monitoring, like she had just gotten home from a, like she was traveling on business and she just got home. And then sometime in the middle of the night, um, he killed her. And from what he said, he um, put her body in the trunk of his truck and then took his girls, who were still alive, out to a location to where he buried his mom and then strangled both of them and put them in oil bath. That's insane. Oil tank. Insane. Just do, get a divorce, people. Come on. Exactly. Get a exactly. divorce. He could I have been a don't... deadbeat dad. He, you know, If you didn't want to be a father, he could have been a deadbeat dad and just bygones you know exactly i completely agree i just don't know what causes people to snap 
And I don't know if you remember, remember when we were living together in Huntington Beach, our neighbor, yes, Art Torres? Yes. Oh, that he was, was so the sad. nicest guy. And then one day he just snapped. Yeah. Well, he, well, I mean, he, he was under extreme duress. I mean, his wife Absolutely. was dying of cancer. And did she end up passing away? Um, I don't know. I don't okay. know. After she left, um, right after that happened, the neighborhood, the house went up for sale. It sold and nobody heard from her again. Okay. I think she got the heck out of Dodge, yeah. which is what she needed to do. She had nothing to do with what happened. And to back up for our listeners, um, this gentleman was a neighbor of ours. He was middle-aged. He was fired from a good job under really um, crappy circumstances. He didn't deserve it. And he had a um, mental break and went to work and shot his boss and some coworkers. And I don't know. I mean, it's a whole nother podcast, but like, this is why I'm right. not a fan of people just having guns, just to have guns. It's like, because they run, you run the risk of that happening. Like, that's the whole thing. I don't know. Yeah, that was such a hard situation. But did they show the tape? Am I imagining that? Did they show the tape? So what happened was um, there was a, a like news flash. Okay. He had a very, spe- a very specific older car. Okay. That was pretty cool looking. That's right. That's right. And there was a news flash that um, the driver had been shot by the police. Um, when he left the scene, police followed him. He shot at the police from his car and the police shot back. And um, his car was, you know, on the news flash from the helicopter view. And his body was under a tarp. And his wife was watching it. Whoa. And another neighbor of ours, um, his name was John, was an ex-LAPD officer. He he saw it too, and he rushed over to her house and had her just pack a bag and got her the hell out of Dodge. And thank God, because 15 minutes later, our cul-de-sac was swarmed with newscasters. Oh, God. Um, Now, how many people did he kill? I don't know off the top of my head. And, you know, funny enough, I got bored about a year ago or so and googled it and I couldn't find anything on it I know but it I was, his, to say it boss, was his boss but I felt like there was a couple other people as well there were, there were um his boss like erroneously fired him so he could hire his son Ugh. and so I think he was involved in a couple of other people there I remember you I remember like the details of like fired him on a Friday and you know how like, usually it's like they do that on purpose so like mm-hmm as if people can take the weekend to cool off. And then he came back on a Sunday or a Monday and just, I wonder, I wonder if his, I want, I'm kind of curious of like what his wife knew. Did she notice any different behavior? Did she, did he say anything to her? Like, I'm curious about those details, even though it's none of my business. <laughs> it was a long time ago, but if I remember correctly, he was depressed, of course. Oh yeah. I think the morning of, he was very quiet. Um, she never had any in, in, inclination that that would happen at all did not see it coming totally blindsided. Right. I remember, I just remember his smile and he would always wave and he, and was, he was always so kind and the mm-hmm. nicest, gentlest man. And it just, it just shocked the hell out of everybody. Yeah. Last person. And you know, you always hear this, the last person you would suspect of doing something that like that or being capable of something like that. How does anyone trust anyone? <laughs> it's like, um, you have to, I mean, statistically, how often does that happen? More often than it should, but yeah. But I guess I guess it just seems you know. But this is like this is the content that we're consuming right now. So it's you know it's definitely more fresh and apparent in our mind, and it's interesting. And we want to solve the whys. And we want to figure out how. What, why would anyone do any of this stuff? See right. if we can it's, spot the signs. It's baffling. Mm-hmm. It's. So just somebody that you interacted with every day that was so kind and nice. And I know um, he and his wife didn't have kids, but he dressed up every Halloween and passed out candy to the kiddos. Oh, and that's cute. Just how, how that can turn. I'm trying to think if there's any like direct case related to you and I that like we knew about or experienced. Um, there is. And remember when we lived with John and Ann? Yeah. So there cousin's daughter christy stewart i don't know if you remember her name sounds familiar well i want to say three or four years ago she went to a dental appointment and was supposed to um go to a friend's house afterwards 
and never made it and was missing for three days. And they found her car abandoned um, with her bra and her cell phone and her glasses, which she could not see without. Oh, God. In the truck. And the sheriff's department in Apple Valley did not treat it as like suspicious circumstances. Oh, wow. There was another lady in the area. I know Christy had just gotten off of her bipolar meds. Oh, okay. She's bipolar, you know, weaning off of her medications. This is John and Ann's niece? Uh-huh. Um, cousin's daughter. Okay. And there was um, another lady in Apple Valley disappeared under similar circumstances. She was a teacher. Her name was Christina. Her name is Christina Bastion. Oh, wow. Last year, they found Christy's remains. Last year? Last year. Oh, shit. It was three years without not knowing. Whoa. What happened to her? They, and it just really pisses me off. Um, I could, this could be a whole separate podcast, but the sheriff's department really messed up on this. And it just angers me because somebody, you know, has bipolar disorder that they're automatically written off, that they did not consider oh, this. Okay. Like, I could go down that rabbit hole, yeah. but it just makes me so mad. Yeah. Was she on, she, you said she was off her meds during this time? No, she was weaning off, she was off oh, her weaning meds. weaning off, okay. Just recently weaned off. Parents had to, which they're not rich by any means, um, had to hire somebody to get dogs to kind of like sniff her scent from the last place she was. Wow. Sheriff's department just completely wrote it off, like they are with Christina Bastion, too. Same, same, same uh, thing. There was huge search and i know that there from what i've read the area they searched they searched the area to where they found her remains several years later that was searched before have you spoken to ann um no no i haven't um what was really cruel during all of this because they had a like a, a facebook page bringing attention to what had happened somebody from nigeria outreached the family and said that they had her oh god at the time no and then she was sick and she needed a doctor and they needed five hundred dollars to get her to a doctor well the fbi got involved and it was pretty much you know found out it was a scam sure but disgusting yeah absolutely disgusting that that's going on yeah it's like how did how did these scammers even know i mean they must have known about it because of what media probably and there's also like you know facebook sites set up to help find her That'll do it. Disgusting. That's awful. I'm so sorry. Something would exploit that and to give them hope. And I just can't imagine like three years not knowing where your child is, whether, you know, your mind, every thought's a possibility. So that's one case that personally touched me in a way, just knowing, like knowing her as a kiddo. Yeah. Oh God. I'm so sorry. And knowing family and knowing it's just so sad so that's so rough I just remember when I was a little girl like there was a I think in third grade or something it was like help find Laura there was bumper stickers everywhere help find Laura help find Laura it was this like little girl that was abducted in Joshua Tree at a rest stop and then they found her remains later she's remember Denise Huber yeah do you remember that case no she used to work at the spaghetti factory at, um, how do, I know, what, how do I know the name? Denise. Okay. Sweet. She went to OCC. Um, she, her car broke down on the way back from a concert on the 405 in South County and they found her car, but never found her. Oh, several years later, they found her in a freezer in Arizona. Oh my gosh. Yikes. Some sick fuck. Excuse me. Sick bastard. Like, posed a as fuck. a police officer when she had broken down in the middle of the night on the way back from a concert, abducted her and assaulted her and then kept her in a freezer and then moved her out. I moved to Arizona and um, the reason or the um, circumstances behind them finding her was that there was a U-Haul with a power cord coming out of it. Oh. And the police went to investigate and found her in there. Oh my gosh. All the years that went by with her family not knowing what had happened to her. It's awful. And then ending that way. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, it's like, at the same time, you know, I, I don't fault women for, for being drawn to these stories because, like, honestly... Oh, honestly, they're the, they're the likeliest victim. I mean, statistically, they are. And you can't argue with that. And it's like, you know, 
on criminal minds, it would be like the sad, the sad reality that we were all, you know, mm-hmm. victim of the week, you know, so it's hard. And I remember like a lot of my male coworkers and stuff would be like, how do you guys even say yes to a date? <laughs> you know, you know, with the statistics, I mean, obviously not all men are bad and, you know, okay. not to generalize, but you know, it does, it, you know, it does give us a sense of our own vulnerability to look at those. So, is, so what are some things you've learned from crew time crew? Oh, oh, <laughs> much wine, true crime stories. I think mine number one is never hitchhike. Oh, hell no. And I have, <laughs> that's the thing. I look back and I'm like, <laughs> why? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I was, was it in is, your- I'll tell you, I'll tell you the story. It's not okay. nece- not necessarily hitchhiking, but it's well. Here's what happened: Roxanne was visiting me in New York, and for my birthday, we had gotten tickets to see Maxwell perform at Jones Beach, which is in Long Island. And I lived in the city, and I wasn't necessarily fluent in where everything was. Obviously, the the New York, Manhattan, New York City, the Bronx, Queens, Brooklyn are all accessible via subway. And so I, you know, I briefly looked up, okay, we got to take a subway to a train to Long Island to go to, and the exit was Jones Beach and the venue was called Jones Beach. And so, right. And so I, I literally was hoping, or, you know, I was like, okay, well, we'll take the train to Jones Beach and then hopefully we can walk to the venue because I didn't have a car. She, you know, she didn't have a car. We were like, okay. We were having like, we were just grabbing some lunch or food or something and trying to plan out what we were going to do. This is before Uber. This is before any of that. Before Lyft. It wasn't necessarily, there weren't cabs around, but I was thinking maybe I could call a cab service. But we were just talking and we might've been a little loud and the table over there across from us was this girl in the sky having a snack and they turned out to be, well, they told us they were brother and sister. And I told, you know, they found out our intention and they found out where we were going. And she's like, my brother will take you. And I was like, "Mm." I remember like debating, like they looked normal. They looked fine. And she's like, I can vouch for him. That's my brother. He'll drive you. He's fine. Whatever. And like Roxanne and I looked at each other and we were like, all right. And so we went with them and first, and he was like, and this is the stupid part. Well, I mean, it's all stupid, but he was like, Hey, you have some time before the concert. Why don't you guys come over for a glass of wine? (laughs) And we did. We stopped at his house and he showed us, he had this beautiful, like one, like uh, one story house with a garden, showed us the garden, showed us the whole place. Um, you know, he was flirty, but it wasn't like he ended up taking us to the venue, dropped us off. And then I don't know how we found it. We must have, I don't know how we found Oh, a way back. I think we took a, I think we took a shuttle. It didn't go. It did. Thankfully it did not go awry. Yeah, that was dumb. We didn't know anybody. We didn't know this guy. We drove in his car with him, took us to his house. Why? Why? You know, and um, I look back on that now and I'm like, boy, that was dumb. And then um, I have another story, boys and girls. But do you have a story? Mm-hmm. Me? Not that I could think of. I was always really paranoid. But what's the most precarious situation you've been in? I know how paranoid you are, but in a good sure. way. So um, I think when I was in high school, I met this guy at the roller skating at a roller skating rink called Mickey. His okay. name was Maurice. And he went by Mickey. And he called me up to go on a date. I was like, okay. So um, he picked me up. At Edison? No, this is when I lived in Reno Valley. Okay. So he picked me up, and then we didn't have a plan on what we were going to do. So he was like, oh, let's just drive up to the mountains. I'm not hungry. I don't want to see a movie. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right. (laughs) And then he just wanted to make out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I don't like how this is going. So I'm like, yeah, you better take me home. Oh, you Which said you that. Good yeah, I you. did. I did. And so he took me home. Good. No, didn't. But just like the feeling of, holy crap, what did I get myself yeah, into? Yeah, and like you're going up to the mountains. That's freaky. 
Right. Going in the mountains, desolate place. Like, and you're no, a stranger. A stranger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, that reminds, oh, I'm waxing nostalgic for my, uh, I didn't know what I was doing when I first started to date. And like, yeah, pretty much. They just wanted to take me around the corner to Moffat parking lot so they could try to get my pants. But like little did they, yeah, like Jason. And, but not only, oh my gosh. Remember him. Yes. And, oh God, I think, I think the most exciting date we ever had was our first date. He took me to Seal Beach Pier where he told me he borrowed money from his mom to buy us coffee. Oh, wow. Hey, nothing but the best, baby. Pull out all the stops. But like, I didn't know any better. And I was like, I was cool with that. I was like, yeah. I'm excited to just be on a date, but like he would pick, he would drive down from Whittier, pick me up at my parents' house and take me literally around the block to Moffat. <laughs> and I remember like this guy, Wayne, you know, a couple years after that, um, wanted to date me. And he was just like, you know, wearing wife beaters, tatted up, like wearing chains, you know, he sounds hot. He was hot, but like literally like he was like hot, but he was like hood. And he, you know, and I, and I had bitten off way more than I could chew. Cause I was still a virgin and I was still like, I don't know what I'm doing and new to this whole dating game. So literally, you know what I did? He took me to Moffat and I pulled out a book of questions <laughs> to ask him. And that was literally my, that was my plan to detour him from trying to make a move on me. Cause I felt like, oh my God. I'm gonna... A book of questions. It went a long way. It, it, Sweet. It earned its money because it, it like, it protected me from being deflowered. <laughs> I mean, granted, I was like scared of him as can be. Like I was like attracted to him, but I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. He probably thinks I'm much more experienced than I am. And I'm going to like, here, I'm going to prolong everything by reading him quite. And he loved it. Like, he was so intrigued. He was like, oh, my God. Like, I will never forget you. Like, you're actually, like, using your brain. And he's like, and he liked it. Like, that was the Respect. <laughs> Thank you. But well, I have one more story. And, and I don't want to talk the whole time. So if you think of anything, please chime in. But, um. And this happened in Hilton Head, South Carolina. I took a vacation. You know, I would take these vacations by myself. Um, I went to the Bahamas by myself. I went to Hilton Head, South Carolina by myself. And which I love. I love traveling alone. Like I meet the most people that way. It's it's interesting. Right. Um, but this one particular time was one of those. Oh, I'm going to end up on forensic files um, where I. Okay. So. Like my second day, I think my second day there, I, I saw on the way to Hilton Head to the, there's an island, a private island to your left that's a nature preserve. Mm -hmm. And you can't camp on it. It's only open during the day. It's a nature preserve. I don't know. It's probably like, it's probably like a total of 10 miles around. Um, it's a small island and there's no houses. It's just, it's all nature. So, um, so my second day there, which I'm still sort of getting acclimated to the weather and the time change and everything. I, I was like, okay, I'm going to go for a run at the nature preserve. So I went out there and meanwhile, the day was kind of cloudy, you know, and I was like, okay, it kind of looks like it might rain, but I'm going to go for it. And I, and I got there and it started raining and I, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to just, I'll run. I have my phone in a plastic bag, you know, whatever. I parked in the parking lot. Meanwhile, I was the, like one of the only cars in the parking lot. And I was like, okay, well, I have a map of the Island. I'll just take a little jog around. And I'll come back and go home. So meanwhile, it started, I, I go on my run and there's like, I'm seeing no people, right? I'm running. It's like thunder, lightning starts cracking overhead. Don't go under a tree because I know how East coast lightning storms are so much more intense and I'm running. It's, it's pounding rain and I run around the Island. And I think for sure this Island is going to connect, like do a full circle, right? Like logic would di dictate, like I'm running the outer edge of the Island. It's going to make a full circle. No, it did not make a full circle. Literally the, the path ended 
And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm screwed. I've already ran like seven miles. I'm exhausted. I'm drenched, lightning, blah, blah, blah. And so long story short, I, I ran through the middle of the island, which I realized in hindsight, I shouldn't have done because they have alligators there. And so I ran through, I ran through marsh and I'm literally probably stepping on alligators as I'm running. And it's like wet, soft, wet, soft, wet, you know, it's like, and I'm running to just cut the island in half to get back. Cause I was like, I can't retrace my footsteps. That's way too far around. I need to get back to my car. And so I was trying to use the last remaining juice on my phone, like Google maps. I was like, okay, how far away is the parking lot? Like, okay. I, if I cut through the Island, I can do it. So I'm cutting through the Island and then I make it back to, I, I know I, I, I make it back to a place I recognize, which is towards the beginning, but not quite towards the beginning. It, it took a while for me to even get there. I'll say that. And I had moments of, oh my God, if my phone runs out, I'm not going to know what I'm doing, where I am. So I make, I find it my way back to the original path I was on and start heading back towards where I think my car is in the parking lot. And I look and in the middle of like this cacophony symphony of thunder, lightning, pounding rain, I see this wizened old man with hillbilly long white hair and gnarled face and crazy clothes like where they just tattered he looked like he might have lived there did he have a banjo (laughs) yeah probably he's duck dynasty baby no no he looked homeless but he like He was bending over and he had this parasol. I remember he had this like umbrella that was kind of broken, but it was like black and white checkered umbrella. And he's bending over and he was looking at something on the ground. And thankfully, like the thunder and lightning and rain was so loud that he didn't hear me coming. So I I kept him in my sights and I was just keeping an eye on him. But I was like, keep, I kept running because I was like, I need to like figure out where my car, I need to get back to my car. Otherwise I'm going to number one, get sick. My phone's going to die. I don't know where I am. So I, I, you know, I was urgently trying to get back to my car. And right when I passed him, he looked at me with the most sadistic, evil, like bloodthirsty look in his eye that I've ever seen on a human being. And he gave me this look. And I, and because he didn't hear me coming up, I think if he saw me coming, things might have ended differently. But thankfully, because of the noise of the weather, he didn't hear me coming up, finally noticed me, looked at me, grinned with this, like, I'm going to eat you for dinner look. And then as soon as I saw that, I I was like, I sped up. I I tried to like give him a smile because I didn't want to like, I didn't want to reveal any fear. And I kept, and I kept running, sped up my pace. And I, and of course I was like, okay, I'm going to keep running, but I'm going to look behind me just to make sure that I know where he is. So I'm running and I'm, and I'm, I'm hoping that I'm going in the right direction. Number one. And number two, I'm like, okay, just keep going. Like it's gotta be just another mile or so to the parking lot. Um, and I look behind me and all I see is that checkered umbrella running towards me. No. So yes. So I literally at that point I had ran way too many miles that I had, I didn't normally run in a day. I was exhausted, but I just like booked it. I booked it to my car. I got got like the adrenaline adrenaline rush. Yeah. I literally, but I was like, at the same time, I was like, I'm screwed if my phone gives out right now. Cause it was literally on like 2%, 1%. I'm like, I'm soaked. There's thunder lightning above me. I'm going to like, am I going to get struck by lightning? It was like, it was such a crazy experience. And I just remember keep watching it behind me. He's racing towards me with his umbrella and I'm like booking it, made it to my car, only one in the parking lot. So he lived there. Like he must've just lived there though. He would, he didn't have a car and my car was the only one. Thank God made it to my car just in time. And I, I drove out of there and I saw him on the way out and he was pissed and it was like, so he was a total predator. He was a total predator. And plus like that could have not been a more isolated area. (laughs) Like if I could, 
have dreamed up a more a more isolated area did not exist. So, you know, that was one of those moments where I was like, okay, Forensic Files is hitting a little too close to home. Jeez, man. <laughs> That's crazy. But anyway, anything from you? Are you, did you have any, uh, you, I don't know. Have you felt like bad energy from someone and. Oh shoot. I feel bad energy from lots of people, but no one that not, I would have thought not like, wanted yeah, me. Cause harm. Or yeah. Cause harm or yeah. Oh, that's fortunately. Good. Good, good, no, good. I haven't encountered anything like that. Good. Okay. We'll just stick so, to the uh, true crime then. <laughs> We'll just stick to our entertainment of true crime. There we go. Our there we go. This is a great topic. Our torture porn. <laughs> or, oh man, just all the sick and twisted things out there. No, I know. Do you have anything obscure for us today? I do not. Um, cool. Besides, I would like recommend you for like a totally different um um, side of this topic, mm-hmm. looking at the website, murder is not entertainment. Yeah, that, that was a good, that's a good find right there. I got to check that out. So, yeah. Thanks for that. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Sure. Um, yeah, um, I've had like way too much wine. I haven't had anything to eat for six hours. Oh. And this glass is like, it yeah. hit you hard. Okay. Hit me hard. All right. I'm going to read a little poem real quick. Um, this is dedicated to quarantine because It just is. I wrote it over quarantine and here it is. Um, It's time to spackle the place with something new, the smell of clean, the aura of pure and the promise of what's next. The echoes of change of perspective and wellness up the wazoo. There's not enough Himalayan salt to purify this being. I've taken my shots of apple cider vinegar, but I couldn't shit you out. You still cling to my (laughs) insides, adamant on your attachment. What is truly the answer? Every tonic, every tincture, every single promise of a cure. I wake up with a fat head, a bloated heart, and skin cells shaking from their cold, sweaty dependence on you. I dry brush you off of me. I blast the cold shower to jolt my skin to remember and then promptly forget. I gulp and swish the tonic to cleanse myself of all traces of you. What have you done for me? The highs and the lows and just a hanky drop out of reach? I'm done with the stress and the panic this dull aching headache coloring my vision, always there, always blurred. Everything hurts and everything's nothing. And I'm left wondering why my hair aches. That's it. That's deep. Hair aching? Yeah, right? When you're like, haven't you ever been that sick or you have a high fever where like your hair hurts? I have. I have not, but I kind of want to experience it. Oh, no, you don't. No. We'll keep you safe from that. Just kidding. But thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you. Love you guys. Make good choices. Be good humans. Bye. Don't. (laughs) What were you going to say? Don't murder. Yeah. (laughs) Stay sexy and don't get murdered. Wine Interrupted with Heather Noel and Tammy. We think, we drink, and then we wink about life's many relationship quandaries. Now we might drink some more. Warning, no matter how hard or awkward, there will be downright real talk ahead. So prepare yourselves. Thanks for joining us at Wine Interrupted.